previously on Missed Fortune. How is this hunting for the treasure different than, like, gambling? That's not, not a damn thing different. People get obsessed with it, and, it, and it's, it's, not, it's not good. I can see it right here. I can see it totally right there. The whole latch and everything, right there. Okay. You can't, huh? I don't blame him. It, it, it's a monster that I created with my story. That's another monster. Is it easy covering, like a, like a netting, or? Is this the end? Yeah. A lot of things. I wouldn't give up. Go back to the drawing board and, and try to narrow it down even more. I mean, fuck, it could be that right there. Give me another situation report on your feet. <laughs> Situation. Left foot, club foot. Right foot, uh, cold pain. Just, just, okay. Like, Skinny, red, you know, stingy. Scale of one to ten. Um, on the oh. Right foot. Four. Okay. That's bearable. Yeah. This one, I'm only worried because I can't feel my toes. Mm, I want to feel pain. Know that they're alive. Yeah, that's all. Oh, okay. This is gonna. See, these are really thin. Yeah. Those are just cotton socks, right? Yeah. Oh. Oh. Numb. Uh, rub them. Rub them with your hands. Oh, ouch, ow, ah, that hurts. Oh, oh fuck, that's cold. That's cold inside. Yeah, so I would rub them with your, with your bare hands through the sock and before you put them back in the boot. Oh my gosh, that hurts, that hurts. Is that feeling any better? Not yet. Oh my god, it's pain. Keep, keep rubbing it. It hurts to rub it. Put your hand and feel how cold this is, even on the outside. Oh, whoa. Yeah. You know how cold it is? Yeah. Fuck. Test, test. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> Man, I sound horrible on tape today. Two weeks after my trip to Yellowstone with Daryl, Harry, and George, I drove three hours up from Portland, where I live, to just outside Seattle, where Daryl lived at the time. Hey, hey. By the way, this is Missed Fortune, an Apple original podcast from High Five Content, 30 Minutes West, and Outside Magazine. I'm Peter Frickwright. And when I last saw Daryl at the end of our last trip, I thought he was done with the hunt. His solution was good, but he had quit. And it felt final. At least at the time. 
But after driving home 13 hours in silence, a week or so later, Daryl started sending me emails about how he'd missed something huge and needed to go back to Yellowstone. Then he sent me some texts to let me know he'd sent the emails. And ever since I met Daryl, we've kind of been at the full sprint like this. Either debating interpretations of the poem or actually outlooking. He's been on such a roller coaster of emotional highs and lows that we've never had any time to talk about anything else. In some ways, I knew more about Daryl's solution than I did about him. So I wanted to slow down, figure out what was going on with these wild swings between obsession and quitting. I, I was hoping you'd just kind of give me a rundown on your early life, like your childhood, where you were born, the surface version of your, or not even surface, but just like your childhood and life. Um, well, it, uh, it wasn't fun. Daryl's getting his phone out and scrolling through pictures. Finally, he shows me a photo of him as a kid with a white family. Yeah, that's what I like. Oh, wow, you had like a full afro. Yeah, yeah, if we had a, a group, it'd be the Jackson One. <laughs> I was a six Jackson. <laughs> but, you know, so white brothers and sisters, white mom. Uh, mom's married seven times. Uh, all seven of them, six of them didn't like the little black kid, you know, so, stuff, you know, the typical um, mom didn't make very good decisions household. Um, never knew my dad, never will. Um, she was just a bad girl. Um, she had two daughters that she'd given up uh, for adoption prior to me being born, so I was the third. Um, and then um, while she was pregnant with me, she got with a white guy. And then um, um, when I was born, they were already married. Um, I, it was a surprise that, oh, shoot, he's black. Daryl's just rattling this off and making jokes for my comfort more than his. I think because it's almost impossible to encapsulate and casually drop this into an interview. What was it like as the only black kid in a white family that didn't like black kids in the 1960s and 70s? It's not a question you can ever fully answer. Just describe. Tell me a little bit about your mom. What do you remember about her, like, as a person? Angry. She was angry? If there's one word, always. She would yell, scream, holler in the middle of the mall, you know. She would, you know, grocery shopping, she would look at the receipt, and just anything was wrong, she'd start screaming at everybody. Um, she was just always angry. What, what else? How else? I mean, what's the next thing you'd notice if you spent time with her? You know, she didn't grow up in the best situation. So, you know, I, I, I think she tried. I think keeping us was her um, her way of, of, of trying, obviously, because she gave up two girls before me. So she was not suited to have children raise them, you know. It just wasn't her thing. Daryl remembers repeatedly asking her, who's my dad and where is he? And it's not that his mom didn't know. She wouldn't tell him. He would say, you know, I want mom to tell me, and I know she knows something. And, and I'd say, Daryl, you know, when it comes time, you'll find out who your dad is. This is Denise Barbo, one of Daryl's younger sisters. Daryl wouldn't let me talk to his mom. 
said their relationship wouldn't survive my questions. But his sisters confirmed everything he said. And I've always believed that he would always find out who he was. Um, so he, he would get sad, you know, he just, he, 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 wow. Um, <laughs> sorry. It's, it's totally okay. And um, if, I mean, if, if we get into stuff that's just like, you're just like this, I can't talk about this, just let me know. Yeah. It's, it's uh, just, I felt bad for him. I really did. If it wasn't already clear, this episode deals with physical and emotional abuse, but nothing graphic. In fact, as adults, it's not the physical stuff that lingers. It's looking back at themselves as kids and remembering how fucked up it was. Like being tied to the bed in your room when your mom had people over. Daryl, when he was younger, um, she would t- you know, tie him up so he wouldn't come out because he was black. Diane LaCrosse. Denise's twin sister. And so because the guy that she married was an insurance agent and um, his his friends were over and she did not want um, anybody to know that she had a black son. When my mom was married um, to our stepfather, Howard, uh, he used to shave Daryl's head um, bald so he didn't look black. You know, there was uh, really good spankings and where he was in the hospital for that. Um, It was just one thing after another. Was there like a a turning point or is there like the the time something changed? Um, Yeah, yeah, I remember the turning point is that mom mom lost her mind (laughs) again. And um, she um, went and got um, some... uh, like a slat from a, you know, for the beds. And um, I remember she grabbing it and um, she thought just, you know, I was gonna do what I normally did, run, and I didn't. And she came out and she smacked me with it and it broke and um, I didn't move. I think that was the turning point. And and so, and what, and so you're saying what was, what was different after that? Well, she looked at me different. I mean, it was just like she was, um, I don't know. It was like she woke up. I mean, it's like everything just stopped for a second. And I was even surprised. Um, but I think she paid more attention to what her boyfriends um, or husbands, you know, were doing um, to us or, or to me. Um, from that point on, it seemed like there was less of things after that. So how do you get through a childhood like this? Some kids act out and get into trouble. Daryl sank into himself, got quiet. He escaped into daydreams and fantasies. And a lot of those fantasies were straight from a particular movie. Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first Indiana Jones movie. Was there was there like a part of the movie that that spoke to you in particular? Um, like the beginning. That very that that first scene where he's like when he grabs that that golden um artifact, whatever it is, that head. 
Yeah. And he's actually got it, and he went through all that uh, stuff before him, that, that, that part right there. Daryl must have seen it a dozen times in theaters. He just kept going back. Uh, he, he just loved it. That was what he loved. He loved he loved the movie. He loved everything about it. And it was just like, yeah. It's incredible how the things we see as kids changes how we see the world and who we become. But it's not like Daryl grew up wanting to be a treasure-hunting professor of archaeology. What he wanted to be was a hero. You know, growing up, seeing all these bad men and, and, and all that stuff, um, I decided to um, take a little different route. I wanted to become a policeman and, and, you know, put bad guys like that in, in jail. And so that's where I sort of took my life. And how did you, um, like, when did you know you wanted to become a cop? Six, seven. Really? Mm-hmm. But the way Daryl saw it, to become a cop, he had to stay out of trouble. So he became a goody two-shoes, which is a tough thing to be in a poor neighborhood. I mean, when you were growing up and, and like, on this track towards becoming a cop, was that alienating? Like, not, race aside, was it alienating to want to become a cop? Um, to my fa- friends, yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, when you're five, six, seven, eight years old, it's fun to play. But then any time after that, the mention of cop or police... Um, you know, no teenager, you know, very few teenagers want to go that route. Um, especially kids that are growing up in the hood where I was, where I was growing up. So very much so. Yeah, yeah you learn to uh, play G.I. Joe with yourself. <laughs> but he stuck to it, kept his head down. And when he turned 22, he joined the army, became military police to get some experience, then came back and applied for jobs. You know, it was funny. Um, Going through the testing for the King County Sheriff's Department, um, one of the things you have to do is a psychological exam. And um, so the first one uh, concluded that my my childhood was so fucked up that uh, she deemed that I'd be on a roof with a rifle one day at a college <laughs> and, and recommended that not for hire. That was written down? Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. Lucky for Daryl, he said if you failed the first psychological exam, it was best out of three. So they gave him a badge. And Daryl became his own childhood hero. For me, it was, I don't know, boy in the hood does, does good. And, um, and uh, all those years of struggle and, and you know, a lot of pain and all that stuff... Um, you know, it's it's the one thing that I wanted. You know, when you're when you're a kid and you're poor, you know, you want the GI Joe with the kung fu grip, <laughs> but you get the same T-shirt you got last year, or so, you know. And so, a lot of years of wanting something and, and not being able to get it, or you know, wanting more friends than I had, or or to know who my family was outside of, uh, or you know, Father's Day, know who my dad was, not ever getting that. Now, yeah, it was a huge. It was a birthday every day. In other words, he'd made it. Instead of the kid being rescued from a beating, he was the guy knocking on the door, making them stop. 
it was like, yes, somebody in the family is, you know, he's he's going to do great things, you know. Um, and I just, I was so overjoyed. Um, with, and I had this picture of all of us when we were, we were taken of him in his um, police uniform. And I was just like, this is my brother. I have never been more proud of him at that moment um, because it was like finally somebody's like leaving this family that is going to do something with themselves. As a cop, Daryl had it all. A steady income and the satisfaction of putting bad guys in jail. He even met his wife. How did you guys meet? Uh, at a bar in Kent um, on a Thursday night, <laughs> of all things. And she was with, um, like, five guys. One of them played um, pro football. Tell, tell me, I mean, tell me that story. You know, she was with them. They, she was dancing with them. They were all together. And um, I think I found a, a break in the, a, uh, in, the, in the chaos. And we started dancing. And, and uh, we danced for a while. And I thought, well, she's still here. She's still talking. Uh, we exchanged numbers. And... We were married six months to that day. They got married in Jamaica, and it seemed like one of those traditionally beautiful couples whose biggest fights were over who got to use the Bowflex. Daryl may have grown up poor and alone, but he married a fitness instructor from a rich family. She had a thing for police. Being a cop also had another side benefit. Daryl had access to the kind of databases that might help him figure out who his father was. So he picked up the clues his mom had dropped over the years, like maybe his dad was from Illinois, and tried to figure it out. And I remember the first week that I became a policeman, um, I got on the computer, and I ran names, all the names that she gave me. I ran them for Illinois to see if I could find something. But nothing popped up. And then he wasn't a cop anymore. And then, um, how did it end? Um, I got fired for doing my job. Um, can you tell me about that? Yeah, you can Google it. It's on, you Google my name and in King County, you'll see it. At, uh... In 1997, about two weeks before the King County Sheriff election, Darrell was on duty and learned that a suspect he'd previously encountered was wanted on a felony warrant and had been spotted at his mother's house. So Dale responded with five officers and a police dog. So I knew he was going to run, so I called for the dog canine. And I called for Guardian 1, which is the helicopter. And um, uh, the helicopter was on its way. The dog was in the backyard. I had two officers back there, and myself and another officer went to the front door, um, knocked on the door. door opened and there was Ryan sitting down at a table he was eating. He saw, he sees me, I see him. He bolts out the back door, runs right past the dog, right past the other officers, climbs the fence and starts running. What the hell? So, um, we're looking for him and we lost him. We can't find him. The helicopter's searching for him. We can't find him. His car is in the front yard. Um, and um, we want, um, we know that he's going to get in that car and he's going to take off. And so, because um, he's done it before. And so, myself and the other officers huddled up and we said, okay, well, let's just not make it easy for him. So we popped the tires from the car. How? Um, with blades. 
now given we should have let the air out, but you know, we were caught up in the moment, we lost him, the next shift was coming on, they're not gonna be able to, or nor care that we lost this guy um, and sit and watch for him or anything else. So, you know, we popped it. Knew we shouldn't have done it, but we did it. Were you expecting something more from that story? I know I was. I thought he was going to say that he lost control. Saw himself and a young black kid who needed help and put a white stepdad in the hospital. Daryl popped some tires. And it turned out the car was registered to the guy's girlfriend. Cops have a reputation for circling up and protecting their own. But in Daryl's case, the police brotherhood chucked him out. Daryl says the new sheriff in town wanted to make an example out of him. So he left his dream job in disgrace. Oh, that was horrible. His, that was horrible. His uh, wife left him. He had nothing, you know. This is like he felt lost again, you know, for being a kid that felt lost all the time and then having everything that he wanted, you know. He was a police officer and had, was married and had a home and, and then to lose it. Yeah, you could see it in his eyes. His whole demeanor changed. It didn't help that during their separation, his wife won a radio station contest, ended up posing suggestively on billboards all over Seattle as a score girl. You can score with sports radio KJR. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, hell no. I remember asking somebody where the weather was warm and the women were hot, and they said Dallas, and so like, The following week, I was, I had a truck, and I moved to Dallas. He partied his divorce away. Bass drops, glow sticks, bottle service he couldn't afford. For the next few years, he worked as a dancer at a Chippendales kind of club. Dated a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader for a while. It was fun. But anyone who's been through a party and drinking phase can tell you, it leaves you just a little more empty than when you started. Eventually, things slowed down, and he found steady work as a recruiter after moving back to Seattle. He got his life back together. But something was still missing. Okay, so then, and then, so tell me, like, what is the next big event? Um, I think everything's pretty status quo, you know, up until, um, you know, I guess the treasure thing. And, um, you know, Having seen Indiana Jones I think, eight times by myself at, when I was eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, using my paper out money um, to go see it, uh, it, it, it interested me, and so I started a process of of coming home and using the internet to research, and and you know the whole thing started, and then in one fell sweep of all that crap that I've been through, all that stuff, um, not once did I let myself in jail. <laughs> Yet, you know, I pick up a hobby of looking for treasure, and uh, um, I wind up going to jail for the first time in my life. The reasons why someone might go looking for treasure are supposed to be self-evident. It's treasure. They saw Indiana Jones. But for Daryl, it's not just treasure. It's not something he can walk away from. And barely a week after Daryl quit the hunt in Yellowstone with me... He'd figured out where we went wrong, and he was back at it. Okay, so when we had 
knucklehead. Harry, come down the uh, the mountain. Um, Daryl has his laptop out, and we're looking at a picture of the cliff face where Daryl said the treasure was hidden. The one Harry lowered himself down on a rope. So, uh, when he got his footing right, and he's taking his knife and he's going, Daryl, this is solid rock. And he's dinking in here, and he's dinking up, up here where he can see. The area that he could not see. The area that he could not see. That's right here. This is but Harry didn't know what he was looking for, Daryl says. Right here he didn't check all of it. That are, that he's standing here, yeah, sort of here, looking down, and he's seeing this. He's seeing all the rocks here. He's seeing rocks here and, and all this around. But he's not seeing right here. And that is where the chest is. So we missed it. As search theories go, the idea that someone might look right at the chest they're hunting for and not see it is pretty weak. And that's just not the Daryl I'm used to. Can you walk me through coming back from the trip, like, until now? Like, like, what did you do and, and your thought process towards this since you got back? Um, where were you when you got back mentally? Uh, not in a good place. Not in a good place. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, you know that. Um, yeah, battled some, some demons with that, that whole thing. Um, you know, all I'm going to do is come back and sleep and then wake up and thought about, oh, let's just go get drunk. You know, yeah, all the things that go along with that. I wasn't in a good place, no. Um, um, Are you thinking, like, just self-destructive type stuff? Absolutely. More than, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, self-destructive, that's, that's a good word. You, you almost have to, um, I don't know, arm wrestle with sanity and, and sane thoughts, and, and, and um, we made a mistake, and that answered everything. And then all that other stuff went away. All that other stuff went away. So, I mean, I'm um, more than uh, uh, happy now that that's what the answer was, because I could not, I, I, I can't put it together. So you're, you're almost saying that this this little bit of doubt that you had about the search that you did was propping you up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very well put. Um, keeping me from falling all the way down. So Daryl is essentially using a treasure hunt to self-medicate using theories and ideas about where the chest is to manipulate his own emotions. It may just be a side effect, but gold fever cures depression. Do you feel a little bit like the hunt is in control now? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that's unique and in, unique to just this hunt. I mean, I think that... Uh, People can be in relationships, and and uh, their spouses you know, either in control, or or maybe uh, alcohol abuse is you know in control, or uh, you know their financial situation is controlling them. Um, right now, it's uh, it seems um, odd, and it seems like a dark place, and it seems like a a um, one of the seven deadly sins, you know, one of, you know that aspect. Um, but I think later on, when it's when there can be a fair evaluation, I don't think that it's, uh, it can be 100% viewed as a 
bad thing or a horrible thing. I think that it was a, a thing that was, you're right, in control of my life for a finite period of time. Would you say now you're in a place where you're trying to quit the treasure hunt? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there's only one formula, um, I think, to, uh, to quit anything. And so for me to quit this, um, I've got to know that I've done everything um, and I was wrong and, and uh, I'm okay with that. As long as I can argue that I finished it. You're pretty sadistic. Why? You want to take me in my pain. <laughs> it's interesting. Is it? Why? It just sounds like raw human emotion. Yeah. Sounds like raw black toes. That's why we don't ski. The day after Thanksgiving, Daryl had quit the Fen treasure hunt. But by the day after Christmas, we were back. To the exact same spot we searched last time, but colder. The car thermometer read negative six when we parked. There's no sun. Daryl's feet are going numb, like dangerously numb. But he wants to stay. Okay, got enough, got enough recording of pain? <laughs> Jesus. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for that first uh, moment of feeling better. It, it'll come. I'll make it come. I'm not leaving here without my treasure. Eventually, we do head up to the top of the cliff so Daryl can rappel over the edge and check the spot himself. Hey, take that slack out. Take that slack out of your rope. Huh? Your rope is tangled in your right foot and you need to take the slack out of it. But the whole reason it was Harry who went over the edge last time is that Daryl has a crippling fear of heights. He keeps letting go of the rope to try and bear hug his way up the rock instead of trusting his gear and lowering himself safely. Daryl, I think, honestly, your safest way down is rappelling. Don't do that. If he can just lean back on the rope, it'll hold. Maybe he can check the spot, finish his hunt, and move on with his life, like he says he wants to. Except it's becoming more and more clear that that's not what's going to happen. Long term, the things he gets from this hunt are the things he never got from the rest of his life. Belonging. Purpose. Accomplishment. That stuff is water in the desert for Daryl. The pain and disappointment it brings just drops in the ocean. So there just won't be any quitting. Not really. For Daryl, the only way out of this hunt is through it. You know, he was always searching. So I think that played a big role in his life, you know, like with the treasure hunt and everything else. It was like this theme of always trying to find something to, you know, him growing up not having a father, you know. um, They were ashamed of him and all this other stuff because he was black. Um, I believe that, you know, with that sense of adventure within him that he just continued on in some kind of a way, you know, um, searching. I think you got it. Huh? You got it now? Him going after this treasure 
And the way that he was doing it was like he was trying to prove something to himself. I gotta do something. He told everybody he was gonna find it over the years, you know, and so um, there was a lot of naysayers. He was just so determined um, in his life. You know, he could have gave up, but he, it didn't stop him. He just kept going. I have that, that same feeling that Daryl has, and, and, I, and I do it in my own life, is that we always want somebody to be proud of us, especially our mom. And I still, you know, I still want my mom to be proud of me. And I still, you know, she can treat me meanly. And I would still go back and, you know, wanting my mom to be, you know, proud of, uh, proud of me for something that I've done, you know. Even though we'll never hear it, we still want it. And we just wish one day that, you know, my mom would be honestly and sincere about it. Missed Fortune is an Apple original podcast produced by High Five Content in association with 30 Minutes West and Outside Magazine. The show is written and hosted by me, Peter Frickwright, with writing, editing, composing, and sound design by Robbie Carver. Story editing by Michael May. Additional editing by Alex Ward and Tierra Darnell. Additional production by Ann Bailey. Additional field recording by Diane Hope. Fact-checking by Matt Giles. Final mix by Stephen Cray. Michael Derman is our line producer. Accounting by Matt Rock. Additional consulting from Gene McHale Waite. The executive producer for High Five Content is Andrew Jacobs. Executive producers for 30 Minutes West are Peter Frickwright and Robbie Carver. Thanks to Outside's editor-in-chief, Chris Kyes, and Michael Roberts, director of audio. Legal services provided by Chris Keen and Diana Palacios. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts. And if you like the show, leave us a review. We'll be back next week.